0: All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just, uh, you know, it's going to haunt me the rest of my life. What? Um, I want to keep talking to you, you know? I have no idea what your situation is, but uh, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right?
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, right, well, great. So listen,
0: here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. What? Come on, it'll be fun. Come on.
1: (laughs) What would we do?
0: Um, I don't know. All I know is I have to catch an Austrian Airlines flight tomorrow morning at 9.30, and I don't really have enough money for a hotel, so I was just going to walk around, and it'd be a lot more fun if you came with me. And if I turn out to be some kind of psycho, you know, you just get on the next train. (laughs) All right, all right. Think of it like this. Um, uh, Jump ahead. Ten, twenty years, okay? And you're married. Only your marriage doesn't have that same energy that it used to have, you know? You start to blame your husband. You start to think about all those guys you've met in your life and what might have happened if you picked up with one of them, right? Well, I'm one of those guys. That's me. You know, so think of this as time travel from then to now uh, to find out what you're missing out on. See, what this really could be is a gigantic favor to both you and your future husband to find out that you're not missing out on anything. I'm just as big as loser as he is, totally unmotivated, totally boring, and uh, you made the right choice and you're really happy.
1: Let me get my bag.
2: Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we continue our trilogy this month with the Rare Trilogy, at actual trilogy, not just something we make up here on this wonderful show, but the Rare Trilogy, where I believe the first part is the worst, and it ages like fine wine. We're talking Before Sunrise. It's a film that I've always kept a distance from, but this was my first time watching it post-marriage, so... I've already had my love life kind of crescendo into a wonderful marriage that I'm enjoying now. So before it was always like fuck these people who are in love. Like I, I you know I knew
3: it. I knew you were going to be antagonistic before you before you got yours. You didn't want anyone to experience love. <laughs> fictional character or not. I didn't even believe that there could be a love because you have
2: enough heartbreak and bad experiences. You're like, come on, these two people don't exist and there's no way a conversation is ever that good outside of the podcast world between you and me. That's it. These two are not having the kind of podcast love that we do. But uh, what are your thoughts on Before Sunrise pre and after marriage?
3: Uh, I guess I was way more optimistic than you because this is one um i've mentioned on on this show before i don't know uh probably not last episode because I doubt Annie Hall would come up during my video store clerking days small town kentucky i don't even know if we had any hall in stock i don't think woody allen was very popular (laughs) for my neck of the woods uh but we did have before sunrise and it was one of the cheat movies i would play on the video store i wanted stuff that was very talky so because i'm just listening to it i'm not actually just playing on the tvs all over the store right but i believe it's r-rated i don't know if it's for language. I'm, it is. There- it's got to be Julie Delpy, right? She, the, the, the French, you know, just the foul-mouthed uh, French lady. Uh, but it's one that, uh, well, to, to prove your point, I never got any complaints, even in a small town. No one was like, "What is this filth you're playing?" You know, it probably just was like, "Why are these people talking so much? When does something, when does something happen?" I was far more um, optimistic because clearly as a teenager in a small town, I had no uh, experience like Ethan Hawke, our lead, where he meets this stranger on a train uh, traveling through Europe. Uh, But it's what I would have liked to have happened in my life. It's what I envisioned. Okay, once I get out of this small town... You'll meet someone from a completely different neck of the woods. And did I? No, not really. <laughs> I met someone about 45 minutes away from my, from my neck of the woods. But it's fine. It's fine. It still wasn't for my small town. I understand your point, but I think I always came to this, even when I was... I think I probably revisited this movie more when I was single than I would when I was in a, you know, a, a nice relationship. I think I, I looked forward to things. Like, this is just around the corner. Like, I just need to... It'll happen for me, like, just... Like it does for Ethan Hawke, just through happenstance. I, I believed in its uh, its notion of of love.
2: I think I'm that way about before sunset because <laughs> it happened and we fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it said you're going to feel the heartache. That movie establishes that, look, something shitty happened before, but you trudged through it, and now it's going to be okay. Or at least it has okay. the potential because the way the film ends, uh, it's not like they get together. It's just it, they're on the cusp. So I think I feel more optimistic about it Before Sunset. However, you make an interesting point. These two individuals had to – well, one of them had to travel to another continent as did I, and you didn't have to travel very far. So, you know, the romantic concept of soulmate is something that I think a lot of people cling to. Is there, so do you believe in the soulmate or do you believe that, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's like two people can can fall in love and have those kinds of feelings, but the notion that there's a, literally no one else in the world in the history of time before or after that you might get along with a little bit better. Like, are you okay to not believe that?
3: <laughs> I like the end of the sentence a little bit better. Uh, I think that's probably where people get in trouble if they start looking around. Like, is there? There's. I could make a slight improvement here. Right? I could trade this model in, maybe slightly happier. That's why I've always loved this trilogy. It's my favorite. You know, proper trilogy as you, you introduced it, the before series. Because yes, in the in the sequel, like you know, in this film, it's it's easier that this version of love, especially in film or maybe even life is easier because it is the first date. That's, that's what we're doing this month. Um, it's the getting to know you and there are some bumps in this movie. Uh, Ethan Hawke for sure, uh, makes some missteps where he is, uh, very self-centered. Uh, you can tell that he's in his early twenties, but he's still not that far removed from like late middle school, early high schools, probably demeanor as far as how he, Uh, wants to center the conversation solely around his wants needs and mainly opinions when he's really upset uh, about uh, a palm reader. He just has to jump in and be like, you know, that's bullshit, right? Like just cannot just go with the moment. Uh, Even um, there's this great uh, uh, street poet that you think like, dude, this guy is just like, he's the fluffer for you. He's just setting the mood. He's writing this love poem about milkshakes. Uh, And he's like, you know, he just like, you know, keys in the word you give him, milkshake. And he's already got it pre-written, right? He just cannot... He won't allow himself to be taken away because he's got to be the smartest guy in the room. So there are bumps in this movie. But that being said, um, the first stage aspect of it, getting rid of some of the awkward moments like that, the falling in love part is easier than the staying in love, which is, I guess, why you prefer the second and third version of these these films. And I think most people... Probably in the movies, like, I don't know. We, we have just extreme versions of that. Right? You have marriage story, which is just going to be like, it's impossible to stay in love. We <laughs> want to see people yeah, like, right. Almost like gladiatorial combat. Uh, or we want to see the meet cute slight bump of the road and then they, they fall for it. But uh, what I do love about this film is they're, you know, the, them consummating the, that love as far as into a lasting relationship is not there. It is like, they do have to come back to reality and they come up with this horrible idea pre cell phone, I guess, you know, not wanting to write letters, any of that. We'll just come back in this day. And I couldn't help, since I knew I was doing it for this podcast, imagining you. And this is like the least romantic thing in the world for you. I could, like, I feel like it would just work your nerves that you've got to figure out, like, did we get the time right? Did we, <laughs> do I remember the date correctly? Because I've got to, like, like he says in this film, like, it's quite the haul for the American to get back over there. But I I think that, for the most part, this is something that, you know, maybe not life, but movies are made for. And I admire that it tries to bring a little bit of the reality in, but it is also a fantasy. I mean, they, you know, they get the bottle of wine, they fall asleep in the park together, like... Most of the things I think would bother young Webb, I don't think come to pass here as far as, I feel like you would just be so uncomfortable with this whole, the whole unknown of of this, of this one night together.
2: Do you know how many train stations that are in Europe? Like you could potentially in America be like, oh, this train station, because there's no other train station nearby. Oh, believe me. Yeah. uh, That really, uh, my OCD would be off the charts. I wouldn't be able to survive. I would, i would go back the next day and just wait the six months in that general vicinity just to not miss i'm telling you yeah it, You're just
3: gonna take up a job there <laughs> just so I work. visa. i'm just camping here at that train station so there's no way that i miss no it's
2: interesting because even my young self would not wreck that poet moment because i had the exact same thought when i first saw this film And I had the exact same thought this time around, because it's been a while since I saw this one. I generally, whenever I revisit these movies, I always avoid the first one. And I forgot about the poet a moment right after uh, he gives uh, the the gift to them, where it's like, oh, he probably just wrote. And Ethan Hawke vocalizes that. And I was like, oh, even I would know better to leave a good thing alone. You were gifted this. He's
3: setting you up for an easy layup. Look, at that that's that's a great point guard there. What are you doing? Just just let it let Julie Delphi be happy. You're gonna benefit from this. You know, you give him some coins, but she's gonna fall in love with you, and you have to say, ah, it's all bullshit. It it really <laughs> is. <laughs> like your basketball, your basketball metaphor is perfect. You
2: get the layup, and then you do a Pele kick to the other side. Like that, <laughs> you literally kick the basketball. <laughs> that's the equivalent. Uh, you know, and I did notice the passers by in this movie, much more this time around. Because, you know, you, you at this point, you kind of know what to expect uh, after you've seen the movie a couple times. But I noticed the poet. I noticed the palm reader. Uh, the two guys who are in the play about a cow. What did you think about all these little interactions? Uh, how they set up, I guess, uh, uh, the world. And they... Flush it out a little bit because that's part of a film as well like as much as this is about the two of them it's also about the two of them reacting to these specific things in the in this world
3: well it's also part of the uh the sort of first date nature of it right it sets the entire scene for these two people to allow themselves to fall in love like you know when we first see them getting off the train i th- i believe that's when we run into the two actors who are Uh, doing this this absurd uh, play about a a farmer and his (laughs) his creatures Um, it allows them to riff off of that to to share a viewpoint together as opposed to basically as we'll see in our third entry this month um, asking the other one to impress me in some way impress me with whatever you've accomplished up to this point so that i'll fall in love with you uh i I would be very much grateful if I was in that situation to have, first off, you're walking around in a beautiful historic city. uh, And then you're finding like, that may be the most unrealistic thing about Richard Linklater. And I don't know if that's how he is in real life, but it certainly is. in his films is that it seems like he thinks everyone is interesting or worthy of being interested in, in in some way, um, not just our main characters. And, it does contribute to the magical nature of them falling in love over this, this one night. Uh, so much so that even the the play, which is kind of absurd and humorous, uh, they do mention later. They're like, Oh yeah, we forgot to go check that out. Cause you know, <laughs> we're too busy with all the other interesting things that are, that are happening here. I'm trying to, uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, in your area, is if it, could you see this film in your city as far as people falling in love? Or is it, does it take the, both of them being somewhat outsiders to the, the locale. Like if one of them was native to that place, would they have found it as interesting to fall in love walking around their own city with a person?
2: I would not recommend it in... I live kind of in the suburbia area. Like if we can stretch it a little bit, I work in D.C. I would not recommend you be out and about 2, 3 in the morning on the streets of Washington, D.C. doing this. Certainly not. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, there's something about Europe where... Uh, There's a bit of romanticism there, and you can get away with it. Not everyone wants to mug you. But again, in the film world, maybe that's just it. Like, no one's going to want to mug you in in the world of a romantic film. But I feel like you can get away with that in Europe. I absolutely could not see this in my neck of the world. Well,
3: Americans don't believe in walking. I don't live in walking cities either.
2: So Yeah. <laughs> Let's Uber it over there. The whole the whole film is just one Uber ride after another. Mm-hmm. Golly. Uh, I think my favorite of these individual these little distractions has to be the bartender in the bar who gives them that bottle of wine. By the way, I don't think he ever gives the address of the bar. This is just a, a
3: gift to. He doesn't expect any money back. I like in that sequence that Julie Delpy is stealing glasses. Or at least attempting to look like she's stealing glasses when Ethan Hawke is just asking for a favor, like, hey, you know, can you help me out? And the camera at least keeps coming. Back. I don't know if the characters do, but the camera keeps cutting back to Julie Delpy, who's like doing. I mean, she might as well have been twirling a mustache, as as <laughs> or stroking her chin. <laughs> But
2: see, he tells her, go get the glasses, I'll handle the wine, and he keeps pointing. He's the worst distraction. <laughs> he keeps pointing over to her, like, hey, she and I, and it, it's the worst caper, uh, but I guess you can't get too mad. This isn't a Soderbergh joint. It it really did uh, feel, not palatable is not the right word, but I, I was much more accepting of this film this time around. It really was. Uh, which which makes, makes me happy because that means that the trilogy is much more... Um, like, I can go through. My next rewatch, uh, I can go through the first one. Uh, and, and I think what really seals the deal is, uh, is, is the sequence that I've loved since the first time I saw it, even though I wasn't a fan of the film my first time around. That ending is just a stroke of genius where you get to see all the different locations hmm. without any of the characters and it, it it's a great time to reflect on the entire film and what you've just witnessed and what you've just seen what you've experienced cuz you you fall in love while these two people are falling in love. And you really do want to see them. Even even the most cynical of us, uh, even, you know, I, I brought it. I was like, hey, is there a soulmate? I don't know. I'm not sure. But in that moment, you really do want to believe that there are soulmates. And that's the mark of a great director and having great collaborators. One of the things that I read about this film, which I was kind of shocked, is that uh, Julia Delpy, she retroactively takes a lot of credit. For the script, uh, along with Ethan Hawke. Uh, well, she gives credit to Ethan Hawke and Linklater more so than Kim Kruzan, uh is the official uh, co-screenwriter. But apparently she and Ethan Hawke came in and added all the love and all the uh, conversations, apparently, to the point where there's a conversation between link later and ethan hawk and then a moderator on the criterion release which i put into my playstation to, to give this film the there you go. yeah so i watched that afterwards and he said that and i think half jokingly he's like oh there's a the script was just kind of like oh and then this next scene uh they fall in love and the next scene uh, is the most important scene in the film and then it's blank and the two of them
3: are- almost like it's an Action movies. Yeah. Here are the set pieces.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. He says that the original script are like 70 pages long, but uh, even he, even Linklater mentions that it really came to, uh, it really formed when the casting was done and we were on there and collaborating. So uh, very little uh, credit given, uh, if at all, to the official a uh, screenwri- uh, co-screenwriter. So I thought that was interesting. And that's how they did Before Sunset and Before Midnight. It's really uh, the three of them. And it's so silly, man. Those films got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. I don't know how the Academy... It's not adapted. There's no adaptation. This is all unique and original work. It's just so silly to me.
3: Is it an adaptation from Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy's own experiences? Is that what are they saying (laughs) that they're adapting their life in these uh, sort of improvised scenes?
2: Well, this Uh, this this did happen to. Link later. The first film is really based on an experience he had that was similar to mm-hmm. what those two went through. It didn't end as well though. Uh he said that they tried to do a long distance relationship.
3: Of course, not. <laughs> of course. Uh and I did not have the courage to avoid those uh those emails or letters or anything. Nope. Long distance calls can't do that. Not at all. Um on on that note I like something. I'm, I was looking at the Rotten Tomatoes and I wanted to bring up, you know how like those like stupid like pixar movies or whatever would get a hundred percent and then like Armand white would come out to one <laughs> splat and ruin it and film twitter would lose their minds this has a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes are we do we not count things like pre-rotten tomatoes as far as like knocking because it's got a perfect score critically so i don't know why this one was never mentioned but i hear about a cartoon having its its record blemished even Citizen Kane. Oh got a splat. Finally? Yeah, what happened is they took a
2: review that was released around the time of the film and put it up, which was rotten, and it <laughs> knocked it off its
3: pedestal. I actually I'm cool with that. I don't like I don't like any rotten tomatoes reviews that are added after the release. I I like rotten tomatoes to actually be representative of what something how it was received then by the critics. I do, I do not like seeing it'd be like, if you know, no offense, even though, cause we're the final word on these things. If you just saw trilogy and theory come over the top in 2023 and do, well, actually <laughs> this stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to see that crap. Um, but I can, you know, Ebert, you know, I can assume he is the top of all top critics. And that's a uh, little tab. Uh, he wrote, uh, before sunrises, so much like real life, like a documentary with an invisible camera, that I found myself remembering real conversations I had experienced with more or less the same words. Which uh, it does say his rating was a three out of four. Um, but I thought, hey, that's probably the kindest. I kind of zoned out during this movie review I've ever, I've ever heard. That's the most positive. That I sort of blanked out and started thinking about my day. But I do think Linklater encourages. That Behavior. I don't think he intends for you to hang on every one of their words because they're not scripted to perfection. There, are, I mean, there are some moments where Ethan Hawk to me is very cringy, and he, I mean, he reminds me of myself as far as like things going to like what Eber saying. Is like, Oh man, I said a lot of stupid shit when I was his age. Same, uh, and I like that that's represented here. But I did notice like that I guess I did avoid your soulmate question which was uh a clever <laughs> defensive ruse on my part to just be like all right no uh, that's one thing I've always liked about this trilogy as a whole um maybe not you know this particular film because I think this is the most ob- optimistic version if you if there wasn't a trilogy <clears throat> you would totally believe that this was meant to happen Ethan Hawke was meant to travel to visit his girlfriend who didn't want him there they break up He bums around Europe and runs into uh, Julie Delpy, who really is courageous in that she takes him up on this offer. She has one pleasant conversation, and she decides to chuck her plans just to see where this goes. Um, But the trilogy as a whole, I do not think, posits that. Because while they do get back together, when you get to the third one, (laughs) there are questions like everyone (laughs) else as far as, did I make (laughs) the right decision? And that's why I love the scene. I hope it's you know, use it in this episode where he gets her off the train yes. by positioning himself as a future what could have been. But he wants to show her that he's just as much of a loser as he's in love with. <laughs> and I would have loved in Before Midnight if he brought that back up like, hey, I tried to tell you you weren't going to be happy and you just happened to <laughs> – fallen <laughs> fall into my, my <laughs> honey pot. And uh here I am. You you hate me now, but I told you. I told you I sucked and, and this is our life now. So I don't know. I don't know where the film comes down on it. I think most people would like to believe that they probably have ended up with exactly who they're supposed to. Um because it's insulting to your partner. Otherwise, it may be like insulting to yourself. Uh if you are constantly have your head on a swivel looking around for, for something, as we said, better or slightly better. Um I think it's more romantic to think that you there are various possibilities in the multiverse. Uh and if you're open to it, you could a few times. I'm not saying uh be Wilt Chamberlain or anything, but <laughs> I think that Ethan Hawk and Julie Delpy are both so engaging and open to the world, their characters here, that if they had not bumped into each other on the train, both characters would have had a great love somewhere else. Yeah. Those, I mean, don't you think, I don't, I don't know if this singular film was pausing that, but I think the trilogy as a whole says that, yes, these are interesting enough people to where they would have, they would have been open to love uh more than a few times in their lives. And
2: ultimately, for me, when I where I come down on the whole soulmate issue, is not that, oh, there's somebody out there for you. Ultimately, I am all about choice. I truly truly believe that the choices that we make matter, and destiny is frightening. I don't like to think that I don't have any control over my own life. And it's something that I thought about a lot when arranged marriage was being uh, thrown about as I was getting older, I was like, "Oh, I have no choice in in uh, this a very important aspect of my life. It, it doesn't matter who the universe says that I should be with. Like, I chose this person, and this other person chose me, and that's really all that matters. And and we kind of form soulmates with, with each other. We, we we form that bond that's stronger than anything the universe. Because if if that if the soulmate concept is true." then we are through our choices defying the strongest will of the universe and i think that's something that's extremely powerful so uh hopefully hopefully i saved it if, if my wife ever <laughs> listens to this
3: oh i imagine it very romantic uh web you are uh neo in your trench coat and when the the idea of arranged marriages present to you you're talking to the architect <laughs> <laughs> you open the, the other door and fly out with a wall of flames behind you and you know save your trinity so yes incredibly romantic the matrix reloaded of course another
2: trilogy that ages like fine wine <laughs> <laughs> let
3: me check the rotten tomatoes real quick on that. <laughs> that series.
1: I feel this pressure of being a strong and independent icon of womanhood and not making making look like my my whole life is revolving around some guy. (sighs) But loving someone and being loved means so much to me. I always make fun of it and stuff. But isn't everything we're doing in life a way to be loved a little more? Mm. Yeah. I
0: don't know. I dream about being a good father and a good husband and sometimes it feels really close Hmm. but then other times it seems silly like it would uh, ruin my whole life (laughs) and it's not just a, a, a fear of commitment or that I'm incapable of caring or loving because I can it's just that if I'm totally honest with myself I think I'd rather die knowing that I was really good at something That I had excelled in some way And that I'd just been in a nice, caring relationship
1: Yeah But I had worked for this older man And once he told me that he had spent all of his life thinking about his career and his work And he was 52 and it suddenly struck him that he had never really given anything of himself his life was for no one and nothing he was almost crying saying that you know i believe if there's any kind of god it wouldn't be in any of us not you or me but just this little space in between if there's any kind of magic in this world It must be in the attempt of understanding someone, sharing something. (sighs) I know, it's almost impossible to succeed, but who cares, really? The answer must be in the attempt.